I'm Emma. And I'm Maddie. And this is the Content Creatives Podcast. Our mission is to inspire creatives to discover, grow, and own their brand. Today, we have Amanda, the Vice President of Influencer Marketing at Edelman. If you haven't heard of Edelman before, Edelman is a global communications public relations firm, and we're so excited to have Amanda on the podcast today to shed some light on what what public relations companies look for in influencers. But before we get started, let's do our question of the day. And the question of the day is, what's one thing you're looking forward to this fall? All right, Amanda, you want to go first? Yeah, I love being outside in the fall and the leaves are changing. And I know it sounds corny, but I love like all those fall hikes. I'm, I'm very excited for those. That's awesome. Yeah, I would say like the fall foliage is like one of my like favorite things. Um, I don't think huh, it's been a long time since I've done a fall hike, but I should probably put that on my list <laughs> this season. Um, for me running in the fall is my favorite season. Um, I ran cross country in high school and fall is cross country season. And so I have like such great memories, like going on runs, crunching on leaves, um, and the weather just like cooling down as much as like, I love summer. It's, I cannot run in the heat. Like I really struggle. <laughs> I struggle. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to go on some fall runs. All right, Maddie, what about you? It's actually funny that you guys both said that. Cause my answer is a combination of those two. <laughs> cause I just got ACL surgery. So I like am couch bound. So by the end of fall, I should be able to like walk and fingers crossed, hopefully run like, so, and I haven't been on a run in forever. Cause every time I tried my knees hurt. And so I finally figured out it's cause I didn't have an ACL. <laughs> so I'm excited to actually be able to like go on a run. And then also the changing of the fall leaves is yeah, literally one of my favorite things. It's just so beautiful. And it's so fun to capture content in the fall. Like every year, I feel like I always go a little overboard and shoot too much content. And I just, I have extra from last year that I never posted. So I'm like, I guess that's a benefit to me because I can't walk for the next few weeks. <laughs> so it worked out in my favor this time around. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, again, for joining us. Our podcast and our Instagram communities had so many questions with working with PR agencies. So we're really excited to learn your perspective on the PR agency slash brand side to share advice to content creators wanting to work with brands and PR agencies. But before we jump into the questions submitted by our podcast community, we wanted to learn a little bit more about you. So we have just like some few like quick intro questions and love to start with maybe just a quick intro. Who are you? Where'd you grow up, go to school, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like you mentioned, um, I am Amanda Mizrahi. I'm a vice president on our influencer team here at Edelman. I have been at Edelman for nine years, which is crazy. Um, and I actually, I grew up in Seattle and then I went to school at the George Washington university in DC, and then I went to San Francisco. I got an internship at Edelman nine years ago, and then I transferred up to the Seattle team three years ago. So been an exciting run. Um, and I've been doing influencer at Edelman since I was an intern. So been in this industry for nine years. That's amazing. I think especially like nine years ago was really when everything, I mean, not started, but like, I feel like the 
budding, honestly, of like influencer marketing and how that started. Cause I remember at the very beginning, I know Emma and I both started like what, six, seven years yeah. ago. And even then it was so new, like we, there were no resources anywhere for anyone. So I can't imagine as like an intern navigating this like brand new landscape. It was, it was a wild experience. And I, one of my main clients was Adobe and we worked on their first ever ambassador program. And this was nine years ago. So at the time, really revolutionary that we had a year long influencer program. So definitely new when we were kind of just figuring it out with them. Wow. That's crazy. Did you always know that you wanted to work within like the PR industry and like, did that relate to influencer marketing or was, did it just like a happy accident that influencer <laughs> marketing was kind of part of that when you uh, joined for the uh, internship? Yeah. So and I kind of happened into it as these things <laughs> have occurred in my career. I was interning in New York in fashion and our CMO left and our head of digital came to me and she said, I don't really know a ton about social media. It's a pretty new space. Can you try out running our Facebook pages and our Twitter pages? Cause I was young. <laughs> she thought, you know, she's like, you could figure it out. So I kind of stumbled into social media and I loved it. So when I came to Edelman, we had an Edelman digital practice and I started doing community management and content creation and as part of that, influencer was underneath that kind of umbrella because influencer as a career track is pretty new. Um, so I was doing it kind of under that community management role. And I, I loved it. And I honestly didn't think it could be a full-time career. I just, you know, I was like, this is part of my job and I love it. And then I kept doing more and more of it. I called it my side hustle. And then all of a sudden I realized this is my hundred percent job. <laughs> I really love it. So I ended up when I moved to Seattle, um, going full-time influencer and I started our Pacific Northwest influencer practice. So it was exciting. Yeah. I was going to say, Amanda, I think that's how we connected. You, you had like recently moved back to Seattle. Um, and we did that awesome value village partnership with this shipping container, which is probably like one of my favorite (laughs) activations I've done yet so far, just because it was super cool. It was like fun to see like three different creators, how, you know, how they would design a shipping creator and include sustainable practices in it. So that was really cool and awesome. And I remember meeting, I was like, wow, you, you literally like running an influencer program. Like I didn't even know. I, th- I think you're probably one of the first like people I had met on the PR side where it was like, oh yeah, we have like programming, you know, this is what it looks like, like, I don't know for the season. And I was like, wow, like there's like a lot of thought and planning that goes into this. Cause like up until that time, I, yeah, I guess like I was still getting like learning how to build up my influencer side hustle. And so, um, yeah, I really like learned a lot, even just from working with you and Edelman, my, one of my first big campaigns. So, so yeah. 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 And it's, I think it's interesting because when I came up to Seattle, my boss at the time was like, well, you're doing this as a full-time job. Do you want to start this practice here? And, you know, at the time I was like, you know, it's a little bit risky. Like, I don't know. And then decided to really lean in and we kept getting more clients and building out the team. And, you know, like you said, it's a full-time job. It's definitely something that people need to focus on. It's such a specialty and there's so many different parts of this job. So obviously we now have a team, I think we're up to 70 people that are doing full-time influencer work at Edelman. So now have a very robust team of people doing this full-time. That's incredible. So this was not 
originally in my questions, <laughs> but I'm going to ask um, from when you started doing influencer work as an intern to where you're at now, would you say the hunger for influencer marketing has continued to grow? Um, like I'm, ass- I'm assuming yes, so, but um, gosh, so I don't, I didn't even realize that there's like yeah. 70 dedicated people. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the influencer marketing industry has grown so much and there's so many nuances to this business and understanding the relationships and the contracting piece, but then also it's become way more integrated, which is exciting to me. So no longer does influencer kind of sit in a silo and you know, the influencers just posting on their own channels. It's like that campaign we did Emma, where it's like, you're doing PR. We have like a very digital focus piece to it. We're using paid to promote the content. Like it doesn't just kind of live in its own channel anymore. It's this integrated marketing tool, which is exciting to me that we're finally there. (laughs) Amazing. And then, um, just kind of the last questions on the intro piece. So how did you find yourself as like VP of influencer marketing? We just, as just the years went by, they were like, Hey, we want you to run this thing. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So when I moved to the Seattle office, this kind of opportunity to start running the influencer practice was presented to me. And as we got more clients and grew the team, it was a really exciting opportunity from a leadership perspective to kind of build what influencer met at Edelman. And like I said, obviously it's this bigger beast now, and we have all of these people and it's really exciting where we've come to. Um, but I think at the time it was, you know, you're going to grow this portfolio of Seattle clients and build these relationships and show them the power of influencer marketing, which we did a lot of these pilot programs with our clients because still influencers, you know, fairly new to some of our clients where it's still kind of a test and learn opportunity and they were dipping their toes in and then for the most part, once they worked with influencers and saw that great performance and the authenticity of the content, it turned into these kind of longer term relationships. Amazing. All right. So we'll kind of move on to the next section of our chat today. And it's all about getting noticed and being casted for campaigns. I know there's so many questions that our podcast community has around this. Um, And one of the biggest questions we're just going to start with is, how do you find creators you're interested in working with and how do these creators get on your team's radar? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always talk about there being kind of the art and science to finding influencers. So we have tools and technology. So if we're looking for a specific mention of a product, we can, you know, look up people who live in Seattle who are talking about Starbucks and thing like that. But then I think there's very much the relationship piece and then the, you know, art of it as well. Like what are the, what's the content that they're creating and really vetting for that piece. So art and science. Um, but I do think a lot of the work that we do is relationship based. So, you know, keeping up relationships, like Emma, I know you and I have worked on a bunch of programs together and, you know, keeping up those relationships and then also working with agents and, and, you know, hearing their latest talent rosters and things like that. Amazing. Um, also not originally part of these questions in here, but it came up because you, you said it, um, is there, would you, is, is it better that an influencer has, is under a talent agency or self-represented or does that matter? I know that's like also a really big question for creators out there. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on the agent and the, and the talent rep that we're working with. Um, 
I think that there's power in working with somebody directly and hearing from them and getting their input. But I think a good agent and a good talent manager gives us some of that access. So, and sometimes a talent manager, if that person's really busy, can help manage schedules and help with responsiveness and things like that. So I go both ways. I think from a PR agency perspective, we're really looking for that direct collaboration with talent and really working with them versus being transactional. So whether that's through an agent and we're getting that support or if it's directly working with them and kind of either way is, is works for us. But I think that collaboration piece is key. Awesome. No, I appreciate you taking the time to answer that. Um, again, that's just like a really big question. So brings us to our next question. What do you look for or what do your teams look for when they're working with influencers? Yeah. So it, it does depend on the client and each client, we kind of have a special vetting criteria and what we're looking for. And each client too has a different look and feel. So one client, you know, we might be looking for somebody bright and colorful, whereas someone else we're looking for, you know, somebody that has a little bit moodier content, um, again, kind of specific to the client and the campaign. And then we'll also look at things like the quality of the creative, really looking at engagement rate. So I think there's a bunch of things that we look at when we're trying to find people, but again, back to the art and science thing, there's also that piece of the creative and how high quality it is as well. Um, and does it matter if creators are shooting with iPhone or DSLRs, or again, does that just go back to the client, like what they're looking for? Yeah, I think it goes back to the client. I mean, I think as we look at something like a TikTok. TikTok doesn't want overly processed content. We were actually just talking to TikTok today and they're like, we want real, we want something to not look like it was super processed. And, you know, we want that to look like somebody shot it and shared it. And it's more important to have it be kind of this quick, relevant content than something that's overly produced. So I think as, especially as we're going into these short form video platforms like TikTok, it can be a little bit more rough and less produced than let's say like an Instagram where I know sometimes it's like heavily buttoned up and people bring in photographers and it's like this really perfect creative. Yeah. I will say that's been like a huge transition with the emphasis on TikTok and reels. I think Emma and I have been like so comfortable, like with our DSLR and our photo shoots. And (laughs) it's like a whole new like thing to learn really like the whole, like we're used to it with stories a little bit, but it's really taking that next step and creating content solely from your phone. It's like a really interesting transition to see. And it's really interesting to see too, how quickly brands have, I think, hopped on to TikTok. I definitely see a lot of hesitancy, but it's really cool to see the excitement for TikTok videos and creating those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, Amanda, if you've had these conversations with brands this past year, I think as my brand partners have continued to want to explore TikTok and play around with it, that's what I've been trying to say. I'm like, this can't look like a, like a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like trying yeah. to tell them. I was like, look, like, I know you want to drive this value of sentiment, for example, but the truth is like TikTok is about entertainment. Like we can still say, check out your website at, but like, we can't be like, you know, like, I don't know. It needs to be like quick enough, entertaining enough, like where it feels like someone can like 
film it in their room and and do what you're what you're doing so I literally saw a comment once with this like really popular tiktoker and she had filmed it on a dslr like she had a photographer come over and do a bunch of like professionally shot videos and somebody commented one of the top comments was I almost scrolled past this because I thought it was an ad because of how good quality it was totally well and I, I think it's honestly kind of unlearning some of the things that we learned on Instagram where it's like hey on Instagram everything needs to be like pretty perfect and you have to be so buttoned up and on TikTok it's like you need to get the content out there it's like mass content the more you can get out the better and you're like bumping up the algorithm like it's just kind of reworking that and I think that's been a huge conversation that we've had with clients of either like, what does that content look like? How do we review TikTok content differently than Instagram? But then also as we're finding creators on TikTok, we need to have a different vetting criteria because the content's going to be vastly different. It's not going to be as buttoned up as Instagram. So mm-hmm. I think it's been an exciting conversation and something that our clients are, you know, on board with, but definitely like an education experience too. Gotcha. Um, all right. So kind of just next question, I guess this is very Instagram focus. Do brands look for aesthetically pleasing feeds? Um, again, another one, another big question. So, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's a important thing that we look at again, depends on the brand. You know, I think some campaigns of ours are more based on storytelling and if people have really compelling backstories or ties to the brand, that's what we'll look for. But I would say the visuals, this is such a visual industry and we're using content across platforms. Forms, we might be using the content on our owned brand channel. So making sure that the creative is really high quality so it can be repurposed too, I think is something we're going to probably see more of as well. Gotcha. And then with engagement rate and your following number, does like does the engagement rate, is that what's like valued more? And is your following really as important as it is, or is it not as important? I always, that's like another question that um, our audience has asked about. Yeah. I I mean, I think engagement rate personally is more important than followers because at the end of the day, we're using influencers as these real authentic people to reach our audiences in a more impactful way than let's say like a banner ad or a piece of paid content. So to me, if I'm working with an influencer, I want to know that they have an authentic relationship with their audience that they have that relationship that they've been building over time. So something like engagement rate, we also dig into comments, making sure that again, their audiences are sharing relevant comments on there. It's not just the bot. So I think that authenticity piece, which usually you can look at engagement rate as a good starting point is something I always focus on. And, you know, I think organic reach has gone down and we're seeing paid as being a really important part of getting influencer content out there. So, you know, I think the reach to me is less important than that actually engaged audience. Gotcha. And then kind of just these last two questions for you in this section, how do you get on a PR list and how do you build a relationship with the PR company? Yeah. So I think, you know, if there is, I, we would, I feel like there's like always this idea that we have this magical list. Um, we don't, you know, I think we have, we have lists of people that we've worked with for different clients and we maintain relationships with. We definitely have people cataloged in our technology platform. Um, I think, you know, keeping the relationship alive and like, you know, we're all on LinkedIn. I think I'm a big LinkedIn person, like 
we all have, you know, Edelman influencer in our title. So looking us up on LinkedIn and connecting that way. And then, you know, if we've worked together on a program, like I've had influencers who've reached out after and said like, that was a really wonderful experience. Can I hop on the phone with you to hear about what other clients you represent and what other opportunities there are? And I think that goes a really long way. Um, and then just being proactive, like, okay, we just wrapped this program. I have some great ideas for what this could be, you know, long-term or, you know, I think a big opportunity on this campaign could have been X, Y, Z, like would love to do another campaign with you. So I think being proactive after the campaigns are done is also a really helpful way to get more work. I love that. And I think LinkedIn is like absolutely an underutilized tool, I think in the influencer space, because there are so many different ways to connect. I mean, I, I work a nine to five and do content creation, like as my side hustle. And so I think about it and I'm like, I use LinkedIn for so many different ways to connect with customers or potential customers that I'm speaking with. And it's such a great way to like stay in touch in like a professional capacity. And it's kind of ironic because as influencers, like it's literally social media that we're (laughs) experts in, but like LinkedIn, I think gets way underutilized. And it's also a great resource to like find contacts and stuff like that and just find out who to get in contact with. And yeah, I love that tip because I definitely think it's underutilized in the influencer space. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I feel like we use it for professional networking. So it's like, why wouldn't we use it for something like that? Exactly. I like, I, especially with, I think influencer, I, I love something that I've seen over the last few years. And I don't know if you've seen something similar, but just kind of the transition of creators kind of finding their own and like recognizing that what they're doing is a business. Cause I remember in the beginning, it was a lot like, Oh, someone's paying you to post about a product. That's cool. Like it didn't really feel like you were running it like a business. Now there are so many creators, especially like, I mean, we have this podcast, right. <laughs> Talking yeah. about like how to run a business as a creator, as opposed to, you know, that stereotypical quote unquote influencer thing. Like if you're running it like a business, you should, or if you're getting paid, you should be running it like a business and you should be networking, finding connections, using professional networks and professional social media networks. So I love that you touched on that. Yeah, no. And I think it's a good point. And I, it's funny if you think of it as a business and you're talking to a brand sometimes, like, I appreciate when people ask, like, can you walk me through who the audience is? Like, what are you being measured on as this PR partner, like working with your client? Like those kind of questions to me, I love because it shows me that the person's like a really good partner and that they care about the business part of this. So like, and then conversely, it's like, then they go back and they say, well, if you really want clicks to the website, like, you know, to Emma's point, like TikTok's not going to drive that for you, but like, like would love to do some sort of Instagram story with this, you know, a tap so we can drive that. Like, I, I want that input too, of like how your audience can kind of meet those business goals that I have. Absolutely. I love that tip. It's kind of like, uh, Oh shoot. What's that book? There's a, I don't know if you've ever read, there's like this one sales book that I swear every sales job I've ever had has had me read. And I can't for the life of me, remember the name of it off the top of my head, but Oh, spin selling. Um, and like the biggest thing is the need base. So like recognizing like what, like the need is like when you go into a partnership, obviously, even though it's not sales, it is building those relationships and finding out what the needs are so that you can make sure that you are meeting them or suggesting new ideas or proposing different things that you've seen work in the past and like making sure that it's as successful as both parties. Cause that really is how you garner the most successful relationships. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's just helpful for you to make better content. Like, are you trying to raise awareness? Like then that's going to be different content than if you're trying to drive a click and, mm-hmm. you know, you want to know what your clients being measured on so you can be successful too. And then they're going to want to work with you again. Absolutely. I love that. And kind of actually moving back a little bit to the LinkedIn piece. I know I touched on this a little bit, um, but just kind of wondering how you would recommend going about finding contact information for PR agencies, like how to get in touch with people when you're trying to reach out and build those connections. Um, Again, I think we touched on it a little bit, but would love to hear a little bit more from you on that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like some of the relationships, like we do so much community management. So one of our accounts, like they, if you message us on Instagram, we will get that message forwarded from our community management team. Anytime any influencer reaches out. So know that that eventually will sometimes get to a PR agency. So it's funny because I think people think that they're reaching out to this void of social media when they DM a brand, but they do get every single one of them get sent to us or some of our clients. Um, so I think that's one way it's just like DMing a brand. We've gotten like pitches that way. Um, and then again, yeah, if you see like somebody on LinkedIn that has like an Edelman influencer title, like email them and message us and say, you know, I'm really interested in working with food brands or whatever that specific ask is. And I'm sure they would be willing to kind of connect you with the right person internally, but I do think social media, like easiest way to get through, we do get, I probably get like four or five emails a day from influencers kind of pitching me or following up. And I think just on my side, I think they're always helpful, but sometimes we also have to have like the client need and the client ask. So sometimes it's like a longer game where I'm like, okay, I know that Maddie really wants to work with us on, you know, I don't know, like a coffee brand and I'm going to wait for that right opportunity, but it might not be right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that you get flooded with, I think about it all the time. Like we, as creators, like talk about pitching and there's literally so many different programs for like pitch it perfect. Like Julie Solomon, like talking about how to pitch brands and reach out to them and PR agencies. And so I'm sure that can get like, I'm sure you've seen a million (laughs) pitches from creators in your time at Edelman and kind of on that vein, what would you say makes a good email pitch? Yeah. I think being really specific of what you're looking for and what you bring to the table. So if I, like I had an influencer the other day that, um, he and his partner are turning one of their homes into an Airbnb and he had, so we work with a home brand. He had so many cool ideas for us about here's like how I think your brand can be incorporated. Here's the value I bring, you know, and really exciting. Like we're doing, we have a new video team coming in and they're going to be be shooting like all these really cool reels for us. And, you know, really like brought to life what he was pitching, where he brought value and like a really unique spin. So I think as much as you kind of get specific of what you're looking for versus just like, I'm a food blogger. And I think like, I'd love to partner with Edelman, you know, it's so broad (laughs) that I think it's harder for us to know what to do with that. Absolutely. I love the idea of kind of telling a story in your pitch and proposing ideas and kind of giving, cause I mean, you guys like work on so many different campaigns, I'm sure. And just kind of having someone come in with these fresh ideas and like a unique perspective, I'm sure just makes your job like at least a little bit easier <laughs> having that kind yeah. of context going in. Totally. And I, you know, and again, I think just being patient with us and like, 
like you would for anything for business, like following up and being like, Hey, I haven't heard back from you. Like would love to like chat more about this or, you know, like follow up. Like we're not ignoring you on purpose. Like we have a lot of emails. So I think just being diligent and and like not being annoying, but I think still kind of following up and, and, you know, making sure that we're seeing your email. Absolutely. Yeah. Staying top of mind, I think is like super is because I mean, in my nine to five, I literally, there's so many emails in my inbox and I'm just like, I, I appreciate a good bump. I, I won't complain yeah. about it if you're <laughs> just following up really quickly. And then it helps me realize, okay, I do, I need to get back to you ASAP. So I always appreciate those too. And with that, so one kind of last question on those email pitches, would you actually recommend that creators attach media kits in their first pitch? Or do you recommend they kind of hold off on that? Maybe just start out with like telling a story, sending an initial pitch, or do you think it's beneficial to include that in their original email? I think it's helpful to include in there. And usually what I'll do, if I get an email, I have teams underneath me as well, forward them to the teams and ask them to take a look or, you know, take, take a peek and see if it's worth pursuing. So I think if I can have everything kind of all in one spot for an easy forward, that's, that's great for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think having like the information all there ready to go can be just helpful in general. And especially because I know media kits get passed around a lot. And that's why like Emma and I have recommended on here too, like include your email on the media uh-huh. kit because it might not be like the person that you're sending it to. That might not be the person that ends up needing it. So making sure you include it kind of like a resume a little bit, have like yeah. your contact info on there. Yeah. And honestly too, this is maybe just me personally, because I get so many emails, like making them as visual as possible, like, because we see so many of them, like and you guys are visual content creators, like the more we have like imagery and we can kind of get an idea of look and feel that's super helpful. That's such a great tip. Amanda, thank you for that. Yeah. Like Um, I see so many, I'm like, we're like, I don't know. I'm like such a visual person. We all work in this industry. I'm like a good photo can go a long way. (laughs) That's a good tip. All right. So we're going to move on to this section where we're going to talk about the brand's perspective. Um, And I know this will probably be a very, it could be a very different response, probably depending on the client, but Mm -hmm. I guess in your perspective, what makes a successful influencer campaign? Yeah. So I think at the beginning of each campaign, we work with our client on developing benchmarks per person and then what success looks like. So again, dependent on the client, but I think for some clients, it's changing brand perception for some clients. It's, you know, creating really beautiful content that that we can distribute and we're reaching new audiences. So I think that's the first thing is really aligning with client on success from the beginning. Um, and I think in general, most of our clients are using influencers to reach new audiences or reach audiences in a different, more impactful way. Um, so I think we'll look at things like, sentiment and comments. We'll look at performance of the posts for the campaign versus other sponsor posts that you guys have on your feeds. Um, just as a mark of comparison, looking, you know, again, at impressions and how many people were reaching organically and, and just kind of benchmarking them against other posts. So I think before we used to kind of have a different view of measurement where it was like, yeah, we're assuming that the influencer is reaching hundred percent of their audience. We know that that's not true. And in, like we talked about impressions aren't everything. So really closely working, we have an analytics um, team at Adelman and looking at some of those deeper numbers and 
those deeper insights and things like story taps and saves, like those are such impactful metrics to look at that just show a further intent. Unlike, you know, somebody who's watching a video of you, that's awesome. But if somebody's actually saving that video, it means like it resonated with them and they want to reference it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm sorry. I think I answered your second question. <laughs> no, it's good. We were going to ask about like key metrics. And so um, I think you gave a really quick rundown. I do have a follow-up question about key metrics because you talked about saves and how impressions aren't everything. And you actually look at the deeper dive in the sentiment with comments. A lot of creators feel really down about themselves when a sponsor post quote unquote, doesn't perform. Um, and I'm sure you've seen this, right? Like paid in partnership posts, at least in my personal experience, Mm -hmm. sometimes my engagement on like a paid post, even though I've thought of a creative concept, I've, you know, especially for an Instagram campaign, right. Really thought of like, what type of image you would resonate best, um, talk about things that are relevant to my audience. Sometimes it will get half of my normal engagement. Do brands and PR teams see that as a quote unquote bad thing? Is that like that piece of content did not do well? Is that like a bad mark on the influencer? There, I'm sure Amanda, you've heard this, but creators literally get stressed. Oh yeah. That's a great question. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, I've had many anxiety days. (laughs) I mean like that. I think this is the, why we benchmark and we look at like when we do our benchmarking, this is why I brought in my analytics team. Cause it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of math behind it. We look at other similar branded posts. If we're working with a coffee company, we'll look at other branded pieces of sponsor content you have done with food and beverage brands. So we have an accurate way to see if the post is successful. So I think comparing your branded posts to your organic posts, it's like apples and oranges. You can't do it that way. But if I saw like, you know, maybe you partnered with a similar food brand and they got way more engagement. I think it's a chance to do like, well, why didn't it perform as well? And what are the learnings and what are we seeing? And the great part about working across multiple clients is I can see like, I I don't know if you guys saw this impressions dipped for a little bit. Like we had a couple of months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No. And it's, it's, it was interesting because our, we were, we were not hitting our goals and it was a great conversation with our our clients, like there's more and more influencer posts flooding everything. And it's more and more competitive to get those eyeballs and our consumer because of TikTok and other platforms, they get distracted. They're not like commenting as much. They're not as engaged. They're just like endlessly scrolling. So I think sometimes by us not hitting our benchmarks, it's a really good chance to look at the industry, look across other programs, and then also figure out like, did we make this too branded? Did we miss the mark? Like, what are we learning from this? And I know our analytics team, sometimes it's like, it's kind of good to not hit our benchmarks because then we learn a lot and we can kind of move forward in a better way. Okay. So it's not the end of the world. If you're (laughs) (laughs) no, and you know what I think sometimes too, and this is, you know, I think would be helpful from our creators that we work with. Sometimes they'll come back to us and they'll say, like, they'll give us context and they'll say, you know, I've been seeing my impressions go down across the board, or I've been seeing, you know, my reels are doing a lot better than my in-feed because Instagram is bumping that up. Like maybe for our second post, we should switch to reels. So I think being that collaborative, like honest partner, like everything's not going to perform really well every single time, but giving that feedback. So we have context to go back to our client and explain maybe why we didn't hit the mark is really helpful. Okay. That's good 
even like learnings for me. Cause I'm like, <laughs> cause it's always like when I work with a brand, I'm always like, I really want the piece of content to perform. And obviously there's so much intention and planning behind it, but, um, that's good to like, keep in mind, like, oh, if it's a multi-post type of activation over a span of not just one month, but maybe several months, it's, it's okay to come back and say, why don't we try something different? I know we planned this out. Let's just like try something different. So I appreciate your like feedback and, and, um, advice on that. Yeah. Well, and it's changing all the time. So I think it's, I, if you have a good partner and I think this is where PR agencies can be so great, almost as that buffer to help kind of have that bigger lens and like stand up for the creator, but also represent the client at the same time. We have that unique position where we're kind of smushed in the middle. Um, but we can go back to client and say, you know, we were really happy with this content, but we're seeing like, we need to shift to video because that's where the industry is going and kind of having those real-time conversations with our clients. Gotcha. All right. And kind of just an add-on question, what's your perspective or PR and brands perspective on using paid usage or whitelisting? Are you seeing brands prefer this in partnerships? Um, or maybe it's just like not as a 50, 50 thing where some brands want it. Some brands don't. Yeah. I think it depends on the brand. I think some of our bigger brands, um, paid is a really important part, especially on TikTok, like we've done a good amount of TikTok campaigns. And as we're trying to figure out what creative to put in our paid buys, influencer creative is just such an important part of the paid mix for something like a TikTok. Um, and then I think on Instagram, we're still seeing whitelisting, we're still seeing paid and it's helping us reach more niche audiences. And then also, you know, if, if it is like, we want someone to buy a product, like it might be a better way to drive that type of click than an organic influencer post. So kind of using them in tandem. Oh, that's perfect. And then last question on the brand's perspective section, how much would you say influencer marketing represents in a brand's total marketing plan and budget? Um, again, before it seemed like it would just be like a little piece of digital marketing. Um, now it seems like brands, like I've seen like pretty established brands develop whole influencer like partnership or influencer ambassador programs. And so I guess from like your perspective in the industry, what, yeah, what, how, how much does influencer marketing marketing represent in brands, total marketing? Yeah. I think it's a tricky question um, because I don't have a specific percentage. I think we're seeing it grow substantially. And it's interesting because I think some of the advertising dollars are moving to influencer, which is exciting. Um, and I think influencers now this, you know, it's an interesting, it's reaching people, but it's reaching them in a more specific way and more authentic way than maybe a paid by would. Um, I feel like when I started influencer was probably like 5% and maybe we're up to like 25%, like we're getting there. Um, I think it's still, while it's not new, (laughs) as we've talked about, I think it is still a newer thing to brands and as we work with clients, it's interesting because some clients, actually very few clients have like an influencer dedicated person in-house. It's usually a marketing person or a PR person. And I think in the future, we'll start to see more influencer roles at these companies because it's going to be such an important part of the mix. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been super interesting. Like at least I know for Emma and I being in it for six or seven years, and I'm sure for you being in the industry for nine years, just seeing how it's evolved. Cause I remember in the very beginning, I feel like most of my contacts were like brands directly. And now I'm seeing like more and more PR agencies and like people being a lot more strategic, like about the posts and like the pitch emails I receive are way longer than they used to be. Like it used to be Mm -hmm. like a, Hey, do you want product and you can post. And then I'd be like, here's my rate. <laughs> like, uh-huh. It has changed and evolved so much since like we first started this. And I think it's really interesting to see how that has gone and kind of moving on actually to the best practices for creators, because I think as creators, we're always curious to see like what we can be doing to not only attract more brand partnerships, but also just build those relationships kind of like we've been talking about. So what would you say makes PR agencies and brands want to work with an influencer a second time around? I know we touched on that lightly, but I'd love to just dig into that one a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is just that collaborative open partnership and you guys have done many a campaign and you know that things change and they go wrong and we'll have a client who's like, we're going to approve this. And then they come back to us and they're like, we're going to approve it, but we're actually going to rewrite the caption. And it's like a little bit swirly sometimes, but I think being that good partner who's like, okay, happy to help. Like, how can we do this together? Like that goes such a far away with us. And we don't want these relationships to feel transactional, even though, you know, at the end of the day, like there is a financial component to it. We want them to feel like a partnership. And like I mentioned before, speaking up and saying like, Hey, I know that we have eight different Instagram stories in a row. Like that seems like a lot for my audience. Like, here's my perspective. Here's what I think would make the content better. I really appreciate that when I work with people. So I think that collaborativeness and really just showing that you are invested in the project and, you know, we have briefing calls and we spend a lot of time on those materials. Like you're paying attention, you're asking the right questions, you're meeting deadlines, like all of those things are important too. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I'm kind of curious too. This is also, I'm going off script here. I apologize. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, cause when, again, it's always so interesting for me working as a content creator, also having like a sales perspective since on, again, my nine to five is a sales job. And so it's so interesting to see where everything overlaps and something that I've actually seen some creators do. And I've done this before. And I'm curious to see like your thoughts. And if this is something that like would kind of add to that story that you were mentioning earlier about, you know, potentially coming to a brand with ideas and like putting things together. Like have, have you ever had like creators submit like PowerPoint proposals, kind of like walking through things? Is that like something that you should encourage or something that it's like, that's a lot to like bring, like maybe if you have pitched them and then they come back and say, here are all my ideas. Is that something that is encouraged, welcomed, or is that like also like a lot? (laughs) I mean, I think it depends. Like if we're in a pre-existing relationship and, you know, we, we have like some ambassador programs that are year long and, and like we're planning for the year ahead and you like have, you know, some really specific ideas. Like, I actually think that could be helpful. I think if you're like cold pitching someone, it might be a little bit much for like the first relationship kind of build. But, um, you know, I think if you have a pre-existing relationship, you know, the brand and you have some proactive pitching, like, I'm here for it. I think it's just not overwhelming (laughs) the PR agency with that up front. 
yeah, just submitting a bunch of pitches with like a, thousands of different PowerPoint presentations to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not the most effective. I appreciate that. And our final question kind of, I know we've already touched on this a little bit, but just to see if there are any other things that you'd kind of like to add on to this discussion, what would you think is something that influencers should be doing in campaigns slash working with their brand partners more? I know we've already talked about, you know, communication, being that good partner, asking, you know, what metrics they're looking at and like what they define as set success in the campaign. Is there anything like off the top of your head that just is something that you really wish more creators were doing or something that really adds value that we haven't already touched on? Yeah. I mean, I think similar to like, if you start asking those questions, like who the audience is when the program wraps, we always do rap recording. And I'd say 99% of the time, the influencers, like, here's my invoice. Here's my screenshots. Like it was great working with you. Like, <laughs> bye. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, any insights that you can bring to the table when a program is wrapped, like you would wrap, you know, anything else working with a client, like, Hey, here's my metrics. Some things I notice for the campaign or some insights, like this did really well. It got a lot more clicks than I typically get, you know, like any of those learnings for next time are super helpful. We sometimes make educated guesses based on metrics, but we don't know your audiences as well as you do. That's you know why we're partnering together. So I think wrapping up the campaign, like again, you would wrap up a project for work, like put it in a nice bow, leave it in a nice spot with some metrics, with some learnings. Don't just like send the screenshots and the invoice and walk away. Yeah, absolutely. We actually talked about in a previous episode, like about, um, Austin to stone is one of our like blogger friends and creators that we've kind of talked with. And I remember she did kind of this post about, you know, when she follows up with campaigns or even when she's pitching brands, she'll actually send screenshots of like DMS that she received about the campaign. And I've done that a time or two. And I got such a positive response from people being like, wow, this was really helpful. Like, thank you. Like, if you have any more screenshots, let me know, like, like feel free to send them along. Yeah. And I think, you know, we do like working with people time and time again, if they're good partners. So I think you remember like, oh, you know, like Maddie went above and beyond and she sent me those awesome screenshots and she made it so easy for me when this program wrapped, like as I'm thinking of talent for my next campaign, definitely want to include her. So I think just leaving that lasting impression of like, you really care and that you're going to add that kind of extra detail is important. That's such a great tip. And I know Maddie said that was the last question, but I had one more question. Oh, yeah. in my head. And I know, I know it's, I know our audience is going to be like, but you didn't ask this question. Do <laughs> PRs and brands work with nano influencers and in paid partnerships when you are, and I'm sure it varies by brand. Are you considering like the different tiers and bringing on the nano micro macro influencers? Again, we have some creators out there who are new ish influencers are under that 10 K mark and don't believe that there are brand opportunities. I never, I'm always like, no, you just have to try, but, um, I'm sure they'd love to hear your perspective on that. And, and with brands and PR agencies working with nano creators. Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing like that nano micro influencer space grow so much, and we are doing a lot more of that work. And I think, you know, they bring so much value to the table that I think, you know, we saw, I think in the, especially in the last year, like celebrities got called out and people start to stop trusting them. And there was 
obviously this is not for every single celebrity. We still do celebrity work. We just have to be choosier with who we partner with. And then I think conversely, it went back to like the micro influencer and the nano influencer are so incredibly important from a trust perspective and also reaching niche audiences. And I think owning that, like, you know, I'm a nano influencer who lives in Seattle and I really reach the Seattle audience. If you're let's say like a new restaurant opening in Seattle, it's so much more powerful to work with somebody who has that great Seattle base than working with a celebrity who's not going to resonate and who's going to be really expensive. So I think there's very much power in it. Um, we've done some great work with nano influencers for some of our bigger brands and they bring really authentic stories to the table. They bring really great creative. Um, we've used their content like on our brand's website or on our brand's social media. We've done Instagram lives with them. So I think there's so much power in using them. And I wouldn't be discouraged if you're smaller. Like I think still reach out to the brands, you know, and, and show what you can bring to the table. Like if you do have beautiful creative or you reach a really great small niche audience, like call that out when you're reaching out. Amazing. I oh, know. I'm so happy you shared your perspective on that. Um, and then just, I promise this will be the last question. It's been so, it's been such a great conversation and I know our audience could be so excited on the flip side. If you are someone who's interested in working in the influencer marketing space mm-hmm. as someone, you know, on the PR teams, on the influencer agencies, what can you do to set yourself up so you can land that internship or you can get that experience? Um, like what have, in what ways have you seen your teams, um, you know, come to Edelman on the influencer teams? Um, I think that'd be really helpful because we do have listeners. I've actually had a listener comment just the (laughs) other day, Maddie, and she was like, I actually am not interested in becoming an influencer, but I'm fascinated by the industry. Uh-huh. And I just like want to learn as much as I can about it. So I know there's some people out there who will actually want to work on the brand and the PR agency side. So yeah, yeah. your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because again, I, I was saying it's, it hasn't really been a career path. And I think in the past couple of years, it's now become something where people have the influencer marketing in their title. Um, so it's interesting though, as we're hiring and building up teams, you know, we're trying to find people with this experience and to the point we made before it might not exist. People like having nine years of influencer experience, like people are like, was it my space when you started like (laughs) so far back? I'm like, no, but it was blogs close. Um, but I think for me, when I'm hiring people and I think I've hired five people this past year, um, I really look for people who are self-starters and like to learn because that's what this industry is about. It changes every single day. You have to really be that kind of self-starter who loves to learn, who loves to ask questions, who loves to like dig in and hear what's happening in social media. Um, So I think that's a big part of it. And then we do work in client service and client management. So the ability to have great communication skills to, you know, provide counsel to clients, really good written skills, things like that, attention to detail, all important. Um, and I think just don't, if you don't have the influencer experience, like showing that you have other transferable skills, like you've worked for an agency, you've worked in marketing, you understand the fundamentals of social media. Those are all really important. So you can get the influencer piece, but some of those harder skills, you know, it's good to come with those. So I think as 
much as you can like apply, there's more and more jobs being opened up every, every single day. So getting your foot in the door and kind of selling what you do bring to the table, even if it's not specific influencer marketing experience. That's amazing. No, that'll be, I think a great question for some of our listeners mm-hmm. out there who are interested in moving into that side of the influencer industry. Um, gosh, it's been such a great conversation, Maddie. Do you have any other questions? I don't think so. Just to say this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure everyone's going to love this episode (laughs) because this was just so insightful, like even for us too, like just listening. So, and getting to chat with you. So we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, of course it's, it's been fun. And I feel like definitely it's a interesting space to watch and it's always exciting. I feel like that's why I've kept in it for nine years. It just changes every single day. So yeah. Is there a specific channel you're that you're most excited about. Um, you know, it's, it's really funny because, um, we'll hear some creators or just some people in the industry will be like, Oh gosh, Instagram is dying. Like, you know, TikTok is the new thing. And I was like, you know, I I don't think it's dying. (laughs) I I think it's, (laughs) I think, I think a platform can experience rapid growth and other platforms can still exist. Um, so yeah, I guess from just like your perspective, is there like a favorite platform or a platform you're most excited about these days? I mean, I, I do really love Instagram and I think Instagram's like always been one of my favorites because I'm such a visual person and I've worked with brands like Adobe and we've done like these really beautiful photographic kind of campaigns. So I always will love Instagram. I think TikTok is like just fascinating to me and something that we're obviously watching. I know we've talked a lot about TikTok, but I think it's something to watch and figure out like they're kind of still figuring out like how to monetize the platform and kind of how Instagram used to be like, how do we do functionality where people can actually buy things through the platform? So definitely watching TikTok and we're doing a lot of programming on there. So I think it's going to be something interesting to figure out and like how it's going to evolve and change. And I'm sure there's going to be like new regulations and things as they're kind of growing. But I think TikTok obviously is, is the one to watch. It's so interesting to see how brands like have to kind of like, I think with Instagram, everyone kind of had to take a step back and with their marketing strategies and like recognize, like, I remember one brand sent me like a caption was like, copy and paste this into your caption. I was like, wait, hold on. (laughs) I was like, you know, like kind of letting go of that piece and being a little more personal. And I think we talked, we touched on that a little bit with TikTok and having to, you know, it's a little more casual, like you're filming on your phone, like more in the moment. And it's so funny to see how brands are adapting to that. I don't know if you've seen this girl going viral where she sarcastically redoes brands like logos and they look horrible. They look so bad. And so many brands have made that their profile picture. <laughs> like, it's so funny. To, like she redid the NFLs and she was like, I'm redoing Niffle's logo because it looks like the, and I don't like it. So I'm going to redo this. And brands are actually, ad- and I, I don't think like nine years ago, 10, I don't think there's any way that brands would have changed a profile picture or like a public space to be this random offhand logo created by someone like using PowerPoint. (laughs) No. Well, and it's funny. We were, we were talking to TikTok this morning and the TikTok rep was like, here's the thing. You have to work with your brands to move quickly. She's like, can I, I can't tell you like, you know, the rush talk thing that was all over. We probably all saw it several times. She's like, I've had brands who are like doing rush talk content that they produced and it's coming out this week and it's just too late. Like they missed the boat. (laughs) So our TikTok rep was saying like, 
you know, really working with people on an ongoing basis to react to those trends quickly, because by the time you contract someone, brief them, you're going to miss the boat because TikTok moves so much quicker than an Instagram. Yeah. That was one of the things in just some of my TikTok, TikTok partnerships. I'm like, okay, we can't like pick a sound because the sounds yeah. have changed. Like the <laughs> trending sounds change daily. And so relevancy, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how, um, yeah. at least on the brand side, how it moves. Okay. All right. I've okay. We'll wrap up the episode. So um, <laughs> I've had, I, could, I know I was like, I could talk about this like all day Forever. long. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the content creatives podcast. If we haven't connected yet on Instagram, you can find us at Embassy edition at mad Crate, and at content creatives podcast. Like Amanda mentioned earlier, um, if you want to connect with Edelman, feel free to check out LinkedIn. You can find her there um, on our LinkedIn page. And then you could also always just DM Edelman on Instagram. If you're trying to get in contact, that was another thing we talked about today. And if you want to stay up to date with us, please sign up for your email newsletter and join our Facebook group. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast, refer to a friend. If you learned something new on today's episode, share it on Instagram stories. We love to see what you guys learned and we love to reshare that. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.